Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Uh, If you would, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to be studying a portion of Scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. John chapter 14. There is a lot to unpack in this passage, and it would be impossible for us to get through all of it today. So we're going to cover the first six verses together. This teaching that Jesus is doing for his disciples is uh, happening at the Passover dinner in the upper room. This would have been a large upper room that they are at lounging and Jesus is teaching. And this is the night before Jesus would be betrayed. This is the night before he would be tortured, um, scourged. This is the night before he would be brutally murdered on a cross. And so this is very significant moment. It's a sign- it was a significant moment for them because here we have Jesus giving his final words. And so they were incredibly leaned in during this time. But it's significant for us as well, which we'll see. The beginnings of John chapter 14, it begins and ends very similar. It says, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. So why would their heart be troubled? In order to know the answer to that question, you have to go back and you have to look at chapter 13. So if you go back and you read through chapter 13, there are some instances, there were some things that led up to their heart being troubled. Uh, first, you have Jesus. He's been in ministry with these guys for the last three years, hanging out together 24-7. And at this dinner, before Jesus is to be uh, taken away, he says, one of you are going to betray me. So you have, and he's speaking of Judas. And so he calls out one of the disciples, the one in charge of the money, and he says, you are going to be betraying me tonight. And then you have Peter. Secondly, you have Peter, who Jesus says, before daybreak, you're going to deny me three times. And this was right after uh, Peter had said, God, I will follow you anywhere. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, actually, you will deny me three times before daybreak. So you have, from the other disciples' perspective, you have the one who has been entrusted for the last three years with the money, who is betraying their master, their rabbi. You have fearless, faith-filled Peter who's going to deny Jesus three times before daybreak. Can you imagine the other disciples are saying, well, if that's them, I mean, what's, what hope do we have? And so their hearts were troubled. Then if you look back in chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus begins to explain something else significant that's going to happen. He says, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I am going, you cannot come. So he's 
not only going to be leaving them in a little while, but he's saying, where I'm going, you can't come with me. Can you imagine the disciples saying, hold on, wait, what? Come again. You're telling me that I left my boat and my career to follow you for the last three years, to go through everything we've gone through together. And you're not only going to leave me, but you're saying, yeah, you can't follow me where I'm going. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly what I'm saying. So I can imagine their faces look something like this. You have James is over there going, say what, Jesus? And you have, and you have John's like, come again. Then you have the, this little girl in the corner that's going, I have no idea what they're talking about, but they look very confused. Then <laughs> you have Andrew, and then my favorite is Thomas. Yeah, Thomas is like, uh, excuse me? So you're going to leave me? And Thomas asked an interesting question that we'll look at in just a second. But let's go ahead and pick it back up now in John 14, 1 through 6. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know, say this with me, the way? Jesus told him, I am. Let's read this verse six together. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful that we get to study your word together. We get to look and to see what you are teaching your disciples, and we get to examine the text and apply it to our life today. So God, I ask that you, your Holy Spirit would be the teacher, Father, that you would empty me of myself and use me of, as a conduit of your love and your truth. We love you. We pray for those that do not have a personal relationship with you in the room today, God, that they would, today would be the day that they would say yes to you, that they would leave knowing 100% certain, not only where they're going when they die, but 100% certain of a personal relationship with a holy God. We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title of today's message, How to Get to Heaven. How to get to heaven. Today is a great day. I'm going to tell you from scripture how you can get to heaven. Charles Spurgeon, he gave this advice to a classroom of young ministers. He said, when you talk about heaven, let your face light up with a heavenly glory. When you talk about hell, your everyday face will do. That's pretty savage. I like it. I like it. 
So I'm going to try to listen to the advice of Spurgeon, and I'm going to try to have a glory about my face uh, today, as I, a smile on my face as I talk about heaven. Heaven is mentioned 275 times in the New Testament and over 300 times in the Old. Heaven is a wonderful place. And I believe that everybody would say that they would long to be there. Heaven is this, by definition, I'm going to give you a definition. Heaven is the habitation of God and the eternal home for those who trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Heaven is a wonderful place where Christ dwells, where the presence of God shines like the sun. It has streets of gold, gates of pearls, walls of jasper, a foundation, a precious stone, and a crystal clear river that runs through it. Doesn't that sound amazing? Sounds fantastic. Whenever I was reading even about heaven, I just, and I even went on, online and I had, uh, you know, the internet robots try to create images of heaven. And I was like, no, this isn't even close. Like not even like the most brilliant computer technology could even like even imagine how amazing heaven would be. So I, I'm not even going to show you that. So it's not even close. We couldn't possibly imagine how wonderful heaven is. As I was also reading this, I was thinking, heaven, this is where Lazarus was going. Man, can you imagine that guy? He died and he's in heaven, just streets of gold, gates of pearls. And all of a sudden he's like, dang, back in Bethany. Come on, take me back up, Jesus. That was amazing. You have to watch a few sermons back to understand. Heaven is also a place of no mores. No more death, no more pain, no more tears, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more sin. And then my favorite, no more sickness. No more sciatic issues, you know, no more swollen joints, no more headaches. It's a wonderful place and it's a place of no mores. Heaven is also a place of sweet reunions. It's the hope that we have of being reunited with those that we love who put their faith and trust in Jesus who have gone before. It's a place of sweet reunions. The word that's mentioned actually here, uh, rooms, some other translations mention mansions, which it's more, I would say, more appropriate to say rooms. Uh, the word there in Greek is monet, and it's, it's referring to a, a dwelling place. Kind of imagine um, God has built for you a, a place, a room. Imagine just this unbelievably big house that there's room for you. More, more like a, a glorious apartment just for you. Some of us, whenever we read the translation that says mansions, we're thinking like, yes, it's about time. I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to have this glorious mansion with my name across the archway, walk down into my humble golden abode. No, it's God's house and we're in it. It's God's glorious house, and he allows us to have a room in it. Now, I can imagine, uh, based on everything that we read about heaven, that the cellar in heaven would be better than any mansion on this earth. Can I get an amen? 
for those that believe. I, I want to read you some of my favorite quotes on heaven uh, from scholars and theologians. This is uh, Martin Luther. He said, I would not give up one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of the world, even if it lasted for thousands and thousands of years. I love that. D.L. Moody said, and this is uh, a very uh, well-known phrase. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Woo! Praying for that glorious body. Amen. Rambo. All right. C.S. Lewis said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. So as I was explaining some of these definitions of heaven, and maybe you're saying like, oh man, that sounds amazing. Like my heart longs to be there. Or if you've ever caught yourself just thinking, man, I wonder what heaven would be like. Like, man, that would be wonderful. Uh, I love meeting. I love even just having conversations with people and uh, walking with people that feel that, that heaven is close for them. You can just see this peace and you can see this joy overcome them. That's just like, man, I'm getting close to be with Jesus. I'm getting close to not just to know him, and worship him. I'm, I'm getting close to see him face to face. And there's a peace there. There's a joy there. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, um, he's also kind of referred to oftentimes as doubting Thomas. I like to call him devoted Thomas. You know, you know doubting, devoted. Anyway, I think he was a man of God. He asked a very sincere question that I believe was, was motivated out of a heart of intimacy. I mean, Thomas loved Jesus. And he, he asked a very sincere question here that I, I believe that many of you are asking. He said, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And if it's not you, then there's a ton of people in your life that are asking this very same question. How can I know the way? Would somebody please tell me the way? How do, Jesus, how do we get to where you are? Or maybe the question is, how do I get to heaven? Just the question we're going to be answering. This is the sixth I am. Go down to verse six. Jesus told him, I am. This is the sixth I am that we'll see. There's seven in throughout the uh, gospel of John. And this is, I am the Way, the truth, and the life. So let's first look at the way. The way is accessible. Jesus is accessible. It is narrow, it is a door, and it is accessible today. The truth is available. It is the standard of God. It is the word of God, and it is available to all. And the life is abundant. It's eternal, supernatural, and full. Think with me for a moment. Some people want the truth and the life, but aren't willing to go the way. 
Some people want the way and the life, but they reject the truth. Or maybe you follow the way, you embrace truth, but you aren't really truly living. To know, to follow, and to surrender to Jesus is to know and have all three. It's to have the way, have the truth, and to have life. Have you ever, uh, in life, have you ever been lost? In general, maybe some of you, I'm lost right now. I have no idea what to do with my life. No, I'm not talking about that kind of a loss. I'm talking about like in general, you don't know where to go. We were coming home from our um, trip where we visit our family every year. And we were coming back through Kansas from Nashville, Tennessee. And in the middle of Kansas, which this for some reason happens to me all of the time, we come through a blizzard. I mean, it was already an intense time. And I'm like, you know, why not throw a dangerous blizzard in the mix while I'm trying to protect my family in this minivan headed across the plains of Kansas. So couldn't see where we're going. Roads were freezing over, super dangerous. Roads one by one started to close. And so we would take a back road, we would get off, take another road. Finally, we end up at this 24-7 travel gas station where I get out, the winds are whipping, we cannot see, roads are frozen, and we cannot get into Colorado. I I walk over to a a guy who you can tell works with a lot of truck drivers. I don't know why I said you could tell. I mean, I, I didn't stereotype at all, but I just guessed maybe this guy has information that would be helpful. And sure enough, I say, man, I'm just trying to get home, trying to get to Boulder. Can you help me with the way home? He said, sure. Pulls up his phone. And this man had an app already loaded with every road that was closed. And would you believe every road headed into Colorado was shut down? There was one road headed north into Nebraska that he said, looks currently open but it's probably going to close soon. So I said, come on, load up. We're getting out of here. We're going home because I am not about to get stranded in Kansas for two days. No shade to Kansas. I love it. But I just wanted to get home to Boulder with my family safely. And so he helped us find the way home. This was what Thomas was doing. He was like, hey, just show us the way to you. Thomas was still thinking in the vein of a path or general direction that you are going, but Jesus corrects his wrong thinking and he says, stop looking for a path. It's not in a path, it's in a person. I, I am the way. I've always been the way, I'll always be the way. I am the way. The way is not a direction. The way is a person and his name is, is Jesus. Now, if you're going to follow away, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer. There is a cost to following the way. The, the, the cost is that it's a narrow way. Scripture teaches that there is a broad way and many people choose that path, but then there is a narrow way and not many people will choose that path. So it is a narrow path. 
It's also a path, it's also a way that requires you to die to yourself. There's a cost and it's yourself. It's saying like, I'm, I'm dying to myself. The way is full of suffering. And the way demands everything. To follow the way, to follow Jesus, and to fully give yourself and to surrender your life to him requires everything. Repentance and faith. Now, that's the cost of following the way. Then there's the outcome of following away. It leads to life. It produces blessing in your life. It breaks off chains in your life. And it is a person. Not ceremonies, not religious activity, not penance. It is a person. And his name is Jesus. Do you know that the, uh, <laughs> see, that is my favorite. Oh, man. Love the babies. All right. Do you know that the early church, man, that was perfect timing. Some of you are starting to fade right now. Now you're back, baby. Come on. <laughs> you're back. Right on time. Right on time. Do you know that the early church was referred to as people of the way? People of the way. Now, when Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. This passage is a very well-known passage because this is a very singular truth. This excludes all other ways to the Father. So if, if you're thinking, well, I, I still want to hold that no matter how you choose to get to heaven or no matter what you believe or what you think, I still think there's many paths. If you want to just have a passage of scripture that just completely cuts that at the knees, memorize John chapter 14, verse six, because Jesus makes it pretty clear when he says, I am the way. I am the way. Not that way, not that way. It's me. I am the only way. So there's something that I want to make as crystal clear as I possibly can. One is the inclusivity of the way is the reality that it's the, it's the, in its most clear sense, is that all nation, tribes, and tongues can, t can receive the way, can accept Jesus, and will be in heaven. So it's inclusive in the sense that salvation is for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Everyone, rich, poor, whatever, anybody, it's inclusive in that sense. Now, it is exclusive in the sense that it is the only way to the Father. If you want to live a supernatural life, if you want to have personal relationship with the infinite and holy God the Father in heaven, if you want eternal life, there is one and only way, and it is the way Jesus Christ. Believing in him and putting your faith and trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So this is the exclusive nature of Jesus. But it's so clear. If you, if, if you really love somebody, wouldn't you want them 
to know the way home? Wouldn't you want to be the one that says, hey, this is the way? And it's clear, Jesus says he is the way. The apostle Peter, after hearing these words, years later, he reiterates this in Acts 14, 12. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. Call the name. Call the name. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. And this is good news. This is good news. How to get to heaven? Put your faith and trust in the way. Then we see, uh, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. The truth is also a person. John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the full embodiment of the law, of truth incarnate. This is Jesus Christ, truth in a person. John 4, this is the truth through the gospel of John. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And finally, I am the life. In John 10, 10, it says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here, how do you, how do you get to heaven? What, that's the title of the message, and I believe that is the emphasis of this passage. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, I'm going to be coming again. He reiterates this several other times throughout the passage. But this idea and this word of life, yes, the way leads you to eternal life in Christ, but the way also gives you hope for today. The way also gives you peace for today. It gives you comfort for today. It is the very breath in your lungs. It is God's grace over your life for today. And scripture teaches that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But Jesus is saying that I've come so that you may have life, know life, experience life, not just any life, but that you might have an abundant life. I want an abundant life. Therefore, I put my faith and I, my trust in Jesus. This way is also uh, known in Matthew chapter 7 as a narrow road. It says, To enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few there are that find it. Big gate. On this side, narrow gate on this side. The big gate is your way. The big gate is comfort. The big gate is temporary pleasure. The big gate is I have it figured out. Or the big gate could also be that I'll work and I'll earn my way to heaven. And many choose this way. It's the bigger, it's the easier path. But then it says that there's a narrower way. And as I thought about this narrow path, you know, 
Whenever you're presenting something like heaven, come to Jesus, abundant life, streets of gold, everybody's like, yes, sign me up. I, I want to be a part of the way. That all sounds amazing. But if you look at what it says is how narrow the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. The Bible literally says, choose Jesus, choose the way, truth, and the life, and it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be trials. There's going to be suffering. But take heart. The ways of a man seems right in his own eye, but the end thereof is destruction. Although it will be hard, and although you will experience spiritual warfare, many trials, persecution, Scripture even teaches that you will be hated. So to stand for what you believe, to say that there's only way, you will be hated. You're signing up for this when you say, I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to follow the way. This is also the only way that you can experience the power, the supernatural power in the presence of God in your life. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life and the hope for eternity. So I want to ask you today, have you made a personal decision to follow Jesus and to accept the way, the truth, and the life? Have you said, I'm all in on Jesus? How do I get to heaven? You put your faith and you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you acknowledge him as Lord. Scripture teaches that we're all sinners. I've never actually met anybody that said, nope, that's not me. It says, Bible teaches that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many would, in the room would say, I'm probably holy enough that I'm as holy as God and perfect in every way. Lift a hand. Lift a hand if that's you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't lift a hand. I've never met it. I've never met anybody that has said, yeah, of course, that's me. I'm perfect. No, no. I think that many of us would say, sure, I have sinned. Yeah, sure. Whatever the standard of perfection is, I fall miserably short of that. Of course. Okay, then now what? What do you do with the sin? What do you do with the imperfection in your life? How can you find forgiveness from that, from a holy God? Well, the scripture teaches, but in uh, Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our payment. He was the atoning sacrifice so that we could have a right relationship with the father. So we see him as a way, we see him as a door in scripture. We see that there is a road, but also we see that Jesus is the bridge. That there is a great chasm between us and a personal relationship with God. And the only way to bridge the gap from where I am on this side and where God is on that side is Jesus had to come. And he took our penalty. Scripture teaches that our sin equals death. And Jesus said, I will take the death on a cross and I will die to make a way to the Father. And he didn't stay dead. He was risen from the dead on the third day. And he is alive in heaven at the right hand of the Father today. And it's only by believing in him, the way, the truth, and the life, 
Can you cross that great chasm and have a personal relationship with God? It says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2a, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. You didn't build the bridge. You didn't earn your way into God's favor. This is not of your own doing, not a result, as a result of work so that nobody can boast. It is a gift from God. So God's offering you a gift. What's the gift? Himself. The gift is him. The gift is believing God. I believe you're the way. I believe you're the truth. I believe in you, that you are the life, that you're the Messiah, that you're our savior, our atoning sacrifice. I believe and I'm going to follow you. I make you Lord of my life. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is found in no other name under heaven than the name of Jesus. This is a profound truth. Here in the first six verses of the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus cuts through it all. And he says, how do you get to heaven? Answering Thomas's question, I am the way. No, 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 no. Like, I want to walk there. No, you know, walking. It's by faith, it's by belief, and it's in me, and it's in me alone. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.